just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. Waiting for the waters to change. Waiting for the waters to change because sometimes God camps us at waters that we don't like. Sometimes we put ourselves in the, at those waters and sometimes we're put at these waters by our own doing. And many times we might find ourselves in a place where we don't like those waters. We want the waters of life to change. So what do we do when we're waiting for the waters to change? And we studied it this week in John chapter 4. Uh, there was a man who was waiting for his waters to change. And I can identify with this man. I don't know about you, but I certainly can. We have seen where Jesus has passed through Samaria and he reached a woman uh, there at a well and she brought the whole community, her whole city to Jesus. We've also seen where uh, Jesus encountered the nobleman who had a sick son and he entreated Jesus to heal him and Jesus spoke. And although his son was some 20 miles away geographically, he was healed. So we see Jesus camped at a well. Now we see Jesus healing with a word at a distance. In the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 4, as we open it, we're just taken right to this place, the pools of Bethesda. And I've had the honor to be there several times and to go down in these these places and these cisterns of water that were once there. And, And it does exist. It is a real place. And Um, You can just feel God that you know that this was a special place. And so as we begin to jump into the text, I just want us to start in verses one through five. And we're going to lay out, begin to lay out what I believe God has for us tonight in his word. So verse one says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. Now today it's known as the lion's gate, but it was called the sheep's gate then, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the waters to move. They were all in the same situation. We all, when we have our pity parties or we have our struggles, we kind of like to flock with other people, right? That are in the same place. Well, that was their situation just organically. They were all waiting for these waters to change. And you say, why? They wanted these waters to move. It says, because an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons. Some believe it was just once a year, but it's not really clear how often, but just certain seasons, in the pool, into the pool, and would stir the water up. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So no wonder they were waiting for the waters to be stirred up. If I can get in it first, then I'll be healed. So I not only have to wait for the waters to be stirred up, I've got to be the first one there. I mean, there must have been pandemonium when that happened. When someone saw that the waters were being stirred. And whether they saw an angel stirring or not, they just, one way or the other, they had to keep their eye on the water. 
the stagnant, still waters of their life, reminding them day in and day out, I need my waters to change. That's a pretty depressing place to be. And having no idea when it's going to change is absolutely out of your control. And it says in verse 5 that a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 38 years. We're not told exactly what was wrong with him, but we know that he was confined to a pallet, that maybe he was paralyzed or to some extent, which is just not clear, but we know that he couldn't walk. We know that he couldn't get to the waters. We couldn't, he couldn't get himself to the waters. So he was in a hopeless state. So here's Jesus, and he comes into Jerusalem because of this feast at hand and this, the pools of Bethesda, they're pretty close. They, they're pretty close geographically to the temple. And so here it is. Jesus sees all of these sick people and I can't imagine how many there must have been, but there was a sea of them. And so Jesus comes onto the scene in the midst of all of these sick people. And I want you to write this nugget down. I've got this in my Bible and I've had it there for years. And it sounds harsh, but just let it sit for a minute. But the nugget here is this, a whole person would have been of very little use to Jesus in his day. And meaning would have been of use, meaning to show who he was, to show his power, to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his grace, to show his healing, to show his strength, to show who he was. So this is like the perfect platform to do that. But we know that the spotlight is fixing to fall on one. So the first thing that I want us to see in our first point here tonight out of four is point number one. I want us to see the waiting room of mercy. The waiting room of mercy. We don't like to wait. I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. I'm not a good waiter. I'm not patient. I don't like to wait. But in this case, in this scene that we are just swept into... In John chapter 4, all of these people who are sick and need the same thing, they need the waters to be stirred up. In other words, they need a healing because the healing comes with the stirred water. So they all need the same thing. They're in the waiting room of mercy. They're waiting there. Have you ever been in a doctor's office and you had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait? You see, we don't like to wait, do we? And we wonder, what is the doctor doing? What are they waiting on? I've had an appointment and and they're 30 minutes behind already. And then I'm going to get in the room and I'm going to wait another 20 or 30 minutes. I don't like that either. I don't like when they put you in a little room and close the door. I like to see what's going on out there. That drives me nuts. And so here they were. They're in what we could identify as the waiting room of mercy. They need mercy. They need someone to show them mercy and they need those waters. That act of stirring the waters is the mercy that they so desperately need. So they're in this waiting room and we see four kinds of people right here that we just read. It said that in these, in verse three, lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. They were all waiting for the same thing. So let me give you the first one is we see the sick there. What kind of people do we see in the waiting room of mercy by these uh, stagnant waters, these waters that need to change? We see the sick. 
It says the sick were there. Well, when we look at that word sick in the Hebrew language, it's very interesting to us. And it says that they in this lay the sick. And we're going to get to the word lay here in just a minute because it's going to give us a good understanding of the waiting room of mercy. The word sick right here means to be weak. It means to be feeble without strength. It means to be weak and feeble without strength. It's not just a physical, this word's not used just in a physical sense, but it could be emotional or spiritual. So it means to be weak, feeble, to be without strength, powerless. Have you ever been powerless in a situation? I have. I don't like that either. It means to be needy, poor. In other words, not having the resources and sickly, of course. To be diseased, to be diseased. And one who purposely abstains from the use of his strength. That's an interesting word. It's an interesting choice of words here for in the Greek language, in the original language that the text, that this was recorded for us in. And we, we lose it. We just read the word sick, but what did they really mean by the word sick when, when he's describing? In other words... Here in this area, under these porticos, by these pools, these springs of water, lay those who were weak, they were feeble, they were without strength, they were powerless, they were needy. They were those who purposely abstained from the use of their strength. You know, we can get in situations where we don't have the will to live, we don't have the will to get up, we don't have the will to, to serve or to be active or, or to do things that life would require of us, even though we have the physical ability to, to get up and to do things. So this is the understanding of those who are waiting in, in the waiting room of mercy. It paints a, a pretty accurate picture for us today, doesn't it? Very much, listen, like the body of Christ, I believe that... On any given day, there are countless of us waiting in the, in the waiting room of mercy. We're in that waiting room together. And some of us, even though we know the right thing to do, and we have the ability to do it, we just simply choose not to do it. And then some of us are powerless because of the situation, or we're needy because of the situation, or we're just physically sick, emotionally sick, physically sick, spiritually sick, you know, sin or getting out of the will of God, not following the will of God will make us spiritually sick. So this is found in the waiting room of mercy. And when it says in here, lay these kinds of people, let me give you what the word lay here means. The word lay means resigned, just resigned. I've just resigned to the situation. Those that had reclined, or surrendered their activity or given up. Those who had resigned, just reclined, I'm taking it easy, kicking back, surrendered their activity. Have you ever been serving God and on fire for God and you just stopped? Come on, you know you have. Y'all still writing, right? The little scholars that you are, you're writing. I see, when I see the tops of your head, I know you're taking notes. They just give up. They just give up. 
Some of these people, he said, when they had laid, the, all these people that are laying in there, he said, the, the purpose of the original language is to give us the understanding that they had absolutely given up to their situation, to their circumstances, to their condition. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to get better. My situation is just what it is, and I've resigned to it. I've just surrendered to it, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to give up on life. And that was these people. But they had one goal. They, they thought their answer was found in the movement of that water. That it could change. That's what I need. I need someone to do it for me. I need someone to move those waters. I need those waters to change. And if my situation changes, then I'll be all better. All I do is I just need my circumstances to change. I need my condition to change. I need my situation to turn around. And then I'll get back at following God. Then I'll get back right with God. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Then I'll be fulfilled. And life will be better if my situation would just change. Am I the only sinner in the house that's ever been there and thought that? I don't think I'm the only sinner in the house. Thank you. Y'all can't hear it at home, but it's just an amen and going on in here. Listen, we're all going to be in the same waiting room of mercy. And we get the idea that we need the situation to change. That's how we pray, isn't it? Oftentimes. Change my wife, change my husband, change my child, change my job, change where I live. <laughs> you know you do. How many prayers I put up for Steve Jenkins? Woo! Listen, not for me to change. He needed to change. So, Lord, you better get a hold of him. The sick lay in there. Second, the blind. The blind. Do you know what blind, the word blind here means? It means to raise up a smoke. To be caught in the darkness of the smoke, it means to be mentally blind. It speaks of a beggar. I, I think it's a good picture of those who've really been blinded, uh, spiritually deceived to things. Deceived by thinking that um, we're, it's a lie. We've believed a lie of an enemy about ourselves or we've believed a lie from the enemy about someone else or situation that we're just spiritually blind. We can't see it. Maybe it's our own pride. And those who are deceived usually don't know they're deceived. That, that's a truth we can all agree on because you're deceived, right? So there's those who were blind. Physically, we know, but it's a picture for us also that there was a spiritual blindness. This word can mean they're just caught in the darkness of, of the smoke of the darkness. I, I can't see clear. In this situation, you see, I know this, our nugget right here is the smoke of strife and dissensions will keep us from seeing Jesus in our midst. Because no one really knew Jesus when he came onto the scene. Even the man who got healed didn't know it was Jesus when it happened. The smoke of strife and dissensions, not to mean, not to, to mention being deceived, but the smoke of strife and dissensions will keep us from seeing Jesus in our midst. The enemy loves, 
He loves for our dissensions and strife and, 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 and all of this junk that keeps us in family or workplaces and our communities. I mean, most of us could fight with our neighbors on any given day, right? If we wanted to, we could find a reason. But this is how he works. He, he swoops in and he'll make you think something. You know, say if you, say if you sent a message to somebody and, and they just answered with a thumb up or a, a hard instead of actually texting words, you know, that enemy will say, pew. They must be mad at you. Pew. What did you do? Pew. I don't think they like me. I'm unloved. I'm unwanted. You're not accepted. You're not, you're not welcome here or, or you're not good enough for that. I mean, the smoke of dissension blinds us to truth. Because the last thing that the enemy wants you to do is pick up a mirror and see yourself as you really are. That's the last thing that he wants you to do. So if he can deflect that onto something else, even if it's a lie in your thoughts or through slander or you know, gossip or, or um, a situation that you just don't understand and we stand back and we... We kind of get our own opinions. We like to form our own opinions about situations, don't we? That we really have no idea what's going on. But this is, this is his playground. His playground is a hurt or a wound. His playground is a misunderstanding. His playground is a lie that has captured your mind, your belief system. That's his playground. And you're blinded to the truth, to what reality is. That's the kind of people that were in the waiting room of mercy right here. They were blind. See, we see the lame. We see the sick, we see the blind, and we see the lame. The lame. You say, Pam, what is this a picture of? Well, we know physically, right? But lame right here means to be maimed, to be deprived of a foot, to be crippled, or to halt. It's a pretty strong word that they use in the original language. To be maimed, to be deprived of a foot, crippled, or halt means to be like shut down, shut down. You see, the, the lame were here too, he says, in this waiting room of mercy. You say, Pam, what does that mean? Those who have been absolutely wounded, maybe suffered a trauma, uh, a, a, a root of bitterness, a situation that they haven't forgiven or they restoration hasn't happened, something hasn't been made right, or maybe reaching all the way back to your childhood or a loss that you've had, a tragedy, abuse. A lot of things can maim us, can cripple us, cripple us in our spiritual walk, in our service. You see, and in this waiting room of mercy, in this public area, I can't imagine how many people must have been there. There were those who had been broken, those who had been crippled. Listen, I'll, I'll say this. If I could just wrap up the body of Christ and say, our wounds are going to happen. Misunderstandings are going to happen. People are going to hate you one minute, love you the next. Situations are going to arise when it's confusing and it's chaotic. 
And that can cripple us. That can shut us down. The first thing that usually goes in our life when we're hurt or wounded is our service to God, our prayer, our Bible study. That's what he's after. And it cripples us. We can't spiritually be the man or woman that God wants us to be. We're lame. So there's a lot of lame in the body of Christ today. A lot of those who are sick, a lot who are blind, and a lot who are lame. And the fourth kind of person that we see here are withered. The withered. D, the withered. You say, Pam, what does the withered paint a picture of for us in this setting? Withered means to dry or in a dry land. It gives the idea of scorching. Listen, dry. Have you ever been in a place where you just caring is gone? You ain't got an ounce of love for people. If you had to hear one more problem, you're going to just crack. You feel like God's a thousand miles away. You come in church and you see everybody else going, oh, I just, everything is so wonderful. And you're just hard as a rock. Detached. See the withered. If you don't think they're in church every Sunday, look around. You look at the faces. Listen, I, I know everybody's not smiley, happy, clappy all the time. I understand that. But you can look in somebody's eyes and see hopelessness. You can see hurt, distance. Have you ever approached someone and you, they're just distant? I was on an airplane yesterday, and, and when I listen, when I fly, I just had to fly for a day and come right back. I want to get to know you if you're sitting by me. And this young guy did everything but turn his legs out into the aisle. For me, not, because I was in the middle. Oh, hello. But when he did look at my eyes, now the woman going back, she was great. Knew her whole life story. She knows Jesus. I needed to know if he knew to Jesus. He didn't want to tell me. But I saw, listen, I saw a witheredness in him. Lameness. And I mean that in the physical, spiritual sense just emotionally disconnected. You know, our church, the body of Christ, we're, it's, we're full of this in this waiting room of mercy because we think somehow we've believed the lie that the situation needs to change. My past shouldn't be there. That person shouldn't have done that. Daddy shouldn't have left. Mama shouldn't have left. That person shouldn't have done that to me. If that could be changed, then I would be changed. I need my situation to change. And this is what these people thought. And we have believed the lie of the enemy to think that I need my situation to change. And that's going to fix everything. Just this one thing. If you'll just change this one thing, then I'll be what I'm supposed to be. Lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. So we have all these people here. Let me give you a nugget right here. They had been waiting, this one man, many of them, we don't know how long they've been waiting in the mercy room, the waiting room of mercy. This one guy, 38 years. Your nugget right here, God does his deepest work in the inner closet of quiet suffering. 
God does his deepest work in the inner closet of quiet suffering. Nobody else may not know what you have suffered through, but he does. He may have set you aside like this man for 38 years. And he believed all he needed, what he believed his answer was, was a lie. He had believed that lie. And for 38 years, you think, why did he have to suffer for so long? God, why have you let this linger in my life? Why am I lingering where I am right now? Why have you not corrected this situation? Why have you not moved me over here? We like God to be on our timetable, don't we? We think, okay, I've repented. I've, I've changed my ways. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm back in Bible study, you know, in my personal life. I'm praying and I'm doing all of these things. Listen, I've done the same thing. God, I fix these things that I think are wrong, and we're so mechanically wired to think it's about doing, right? I've just checked, checked, prayed today, check. I've been praying today. I've been doing my devotions. I've been in my Bible study. I, I, I've, I've been listening to, you know, to that person, or I've been patient with that person. I gave that. I've been tithing. I've been doing everything. Check, 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 check. We want to check all the boxes, and we think that it's going to be okay. We think it's going to be okay. But yet God still allows us to linger in that place. And we don't understand. But you see, listen, when, it's when God shuts us off. He does his greatest work when he puts us on the backside of the desert. And we don't like it. We don't like to be in those places of challenge and struggle. But let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, he's sending his disciples out, the 12. He gathers the 12 and he sends them out in twos. He pairs them up. And so before he sends them out, he tells them, I'm giving you this power and this power. But he says this, I'm just pulling out two verses out of this little talk he's giving them before they go out. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. But he says, as you go... Now, listen, they had Jesus' authority given to them. Okay, these are the apostles. So Jesus is giving this authority to his apostles, his 12 apostles. He didn't give it to 100 or 200 of his disciples. He gave it to the 12 apostles. So just keep that in your bonnet. And as you go, he says, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven has come down. The kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. And he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, so freely give. He said, who are they going to be preaching to? Well, the sick, raising the dead. I would love to have read those stories, but you know, he gave them the power to do that. What happened when they ended? How many people, how many of the dead did they raise? I mean, I've wondered that. But he gave them authority to do that. So he's with the, those who have died in sorrow, of course, those who are mourning, the sick, the lepers, those who are the demoniacs. But he says, but tell them as you approach this person, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me give you a nugget based off of this right here. If healing is the kingdom of heaven coming down to you, and that's what Jesus just says right here. If healing is the kingdom of heaven coming down to you, then the struggle laid the path it took to reach you. 
Let me say it again. If healing is the kingdom of heaven coming down to you, in other words, drawing near to you, like Jesus just said, when you are at this sick with the sick and the, the lepers, if healing is the kingdom of heaven coming down to you, then the struggle, the sickness, the sorrow, the loss, the situation, the hurt, then the struggle laid the path it took to reach you. That's what laid the path. If this man had not been on his pallet for 38 years, Jesus would not have come to him. It brought Jesus near to him. His struggle, his weakness, his sickness, his, his being broken, a broken man. So that 38 years of being in that place, do you know what that 38 years was doing? It was just preparing him to receive Jesus. It was preparing him to be closer to Jesus, to draw Jesus closer to him, to become a testimony of who Jesus is. That's what the mercy waiting in the mercy room does. It's a work going on. It's a work going on. So point number two, we see the waiting room of mercy, but point number two, we see the call of mercy. The call of mercy because it says a man there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus, verse six, I'm going to keep reading. And in verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to them, and this is the question, do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? I mean, that would seem like, well, duh, of course I do. I mean, I'm waiting by the waters, aren't I? I'm in the right place. I mean, what do you think? Do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So Jesus asked a question that seems kind of odd to us, but it's the question that mercy will ask while we're in the waiting room. It's the call of mercy to us. Do you really want to get well? Is that your intention? So he says, do you wish? Let me give you what wish means, and we're going to get the word well right here. Wish means to will, to have in mind, to intend to, wish for, or to love. To will, to have in your mind, to intend to, like I intend to do this. Is that your intention, he's saying? Is that your wish, what you wish for, or to love? So if we insert this meaning back into the question, do you wish to get well? Saying, is, is it in your mind? Is that your intention? Is that your wish? Is that your love? In other words, is that the, the desire of your heart? And then he says, for what? To get well. So the word well means whole, restored, or sound. Whole, restored, or sound. So oftentimes while we're in the waiting room of mercy, we're in this journey with God, wherever he has us, this question comes when we're, listen, when we're wounded, when we're broken, when we've blown it, 
When we're in a situation where we just think, I've been so hurt, my husband ran out on us, I've been left with these kids to raise, or I was abused by my, my stepfather, or my mother, you know, hated me and she always put me down, whatever the situation is. And we can stay in that and we can cycle through that. But the question always comes back, is it your wish? Is it your love? Is it your intention? Is it in your mind? Do you really intend to be whole? Do you really intend to be restored? Do you intend to be sound? Do you really want to be strong? Because then you can't have excuses. You can't make excuses anymore. You can't use that as a platform anymore. You see, because the devil loves it when we speak out of our wounds. He loves it when we speak out of our brokenness. He loves it when we speak out of our offenses, out of our anger, out of our fear. The list could go on and on. Our insecurities. And there's not a person on this planet that doesn't struggle with insecurity somewhere. Or that's not afraid. There's not an area of fear somewhere. There's not a regret somewhere. There's not a wound somewhere. There's not a loss And it's a big newsflash from heaven, but you are not the only one that's ever been hurt or experienced loss or struggles with insecurity that might have an anger issue at at times. We're all there with you. We're all there in this together, right? And that that was a big moment for me when I realized, you know, Pam, it's not about you. (laughs) What? (laughs) Does it say, for God so loved Pam (laughs) that he gave? No, it's the world. It's all of us in there together. It's that that struggle. So this question, listen, the question, how you answer this question, how you answer this question will reveal your obstacles to have it. The obstacles to have restoration, the obstacles to be made whole, the obstacles to be strong again, to be sound, to receive healing. The way that you answer the question is going to reveal your obstacles, just like it did to this man. Let me give you what they were because you're going to love this. And you got to write fast, okay? You're, you're writing too slow tonight. Three obstacles in the way, and we see it in his answers. I have no one to put me in the water when it's stirred up. Number one, codependency. Codependency, you think it's, you, you think it's someone else says responsibility to help you get to where you're going. (laughs) Oh, that hurts. I know it does. It hurts me. It wounds me. I don't have anybody to do it for me. I need some help, Lord. Listen, you know how many SOSs I've sent out? Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. I need some help, Lord. I need somebody to come in here and do this for me. That's what he says. That's that's our obstacles. Do you really wish to be well? Because if, listen, if I'm made well, then I don't have any excuses anymore. I don't get attention anymore. I don't have the, the platform or the spotlight on me anymore. So codependency, number two, blame others. Blame shifting. We see it, listen, it comes right out of the Garden of Eden. 
right from the beginning of time, blaming others while I am coming. Listen, while I'm coming, somebody else gets in there. I'm trying. I don't have anybody to help me, but here I am. I'm just dragging myself. I'm poor, pitiful me. I'm just trying to do the, I'm doing the best I can, okay? We lay out all of this, this situation. Do you know I didn't have a father? My stepfather was a drunk. And, and, and this and this and this, and we were poor and this and this. We could go through the list, couldn't we? Listen, I could roll out all of these things about my life, and it would, go, it would fill that aisle down there of excuses. Of codependency, blaming others would be very easy. Very easy. Blaming others, listen, it's their fault. How dare them try to want healing? I mean, they ought to be ashamed trying to get to that water. They know I'm in this situation. And they're going to get there ahead of me. I mean, that's what he's saying, right? And then see the victim mentality. Poor, pitiful me. They took my place. It's my circumstances. It's not my fault. If this hadn't happened, if that hadn't taken place, if I hadn't gone through that, if I hadn't been born in this situation, did you know that I was an accident when I was conceived? And we can come up with all of these things. I was unwanted or I was adopted or we can go through all of these things. And we have that victim, poor, pitiful me. Do you really wish to be made whole? Or do you want to stay a victim? Do you want to keep blaming? Do you want to keep depending and and saying, I've got to have somebody to help me? Then you don't want to be well. You don't want to be well. Because Jesus just kind of tears down every lie that this man has been sucked into in the waiting room of mercy. Is that your heart's desire really? Because if it is, you're going to have to stop complaining. You're going to have to stop exaggerating your situation. You're going to have to stop demanding that people help you. You're going to have to stop blaming others. You will no longer be able to be the victim because Jesus wants you to be the victor. You can't be the victor and be the victim both. It's one or the other, what it's going to be. And this is what he's laying out to this man. And all of us are in the same situation at different times in our lives. You might be there right now. Maybe you're in the waiting room of mercy and you don't, you, you kind of like where you are. I don't have any spiritual responsibilities if I stay here. I don't have to forgive. I don't have to let go. I don't have to embrace God's will. I don't have to surrender to the situation. I don't have to obey God. I don't have to follow his plan. I don't have to say yes to him. I can stay right here and I can be fine. I don't have to let go of all the attention. See, it's a hard place. Do you really wish to get well? That's the question. Do you really want to be whole? A victim mentality will never take responsibility for their wellness. 
You'll never take responsibility for their wellness, a victim mentality. And that won't be on the screen. That's just in my notes. Victim mentality will never take responsibility for their wellness. It's a, de- it's a deceiving that the enemy has put over our eyes in a lot of situations. Anytime you see yourself as a victim, you have surrendered to the lie of the enemy. Because God didn't create you that way. God doesn't see you that way. You are not the victim. Not in Christ. If you see yourself that way or you paint the picture of yourself that way, and we continue once we know the truth, and now we become manipulators, don't we? And that victim mentality just falls us into that naturally, organically. Let me tell you what John MacArthur said. And John MacArthur, you know, he just does not play. How can a deceived person know he's deceived? How can we spot someone who is deceived? And he answers that. Look for people who are seeking feelings. They're seeking blessings, experiences, healings, angels, whatever. They are only interested in the byproducts of the faith, not in Christ. They're they're interested in the byproducts. What can you do for me? No one helps me. No one understands me. No one hears me. No one sees me. It's so-and-so's fault. If I hadn't gone through that, we just, the, the list goes on and on and on, and we continue to stay at the stagnant waters. You see, these excuses, they all keep us there. So back to the question, do you wish to get well? Do you really wish to get well? So let me give you point number three, our last five minutes together. The move of mercy. Because Jesus tells him, do you wish to get well? And he gives these excuses, and Jesus doesn't respond to, to, that, to that. He doesn't say, you poor man, I'm so sorry they did that to you. I'm so sorry you can't get to the water. Jesus knew that is not where you need to get, bub. That's not where you need to go. That's not the answer. I don't want to change your situation. I want to change your heart with me. I want to change your heart. And so the move of mercy, Jesus says in verse 8 and 9, he says, then get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well. Imagine that. He didn't need the waters of the world. He just needed the word of Jesus. He got up. He became well. He picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was on the Sabbath day, and that really ticked the religious leaders off. Because this miraculous cure, John's the only one that records this story for us. John primarily, not all, but primarily he focuses on the miracles done in Jerusalem. The other gospels, the other three focus in other places. And so when he says, get up, let me give you what get up right here means. Get up, it means rise, cause to be born, arouse from the sleep of death. Get up. Get up, he said. You don't wait for your circumstances to change. You don't wait for the waters to change. You get up where you are and you start again. Cause to be born. Arouse from the sleep of death what you've surrendered to. But he says, not only get up, you know what? Basically, that means refuse to settle. Refuse to settle where you are. This is, you were created for more than where you are. Your circumstances are not who you are or what you are. They don't define you. So he says, get up, but then he says, take up. 
Get up, take up your pallet, and walk. He doesn't say just get up and go. I heal you, get up and go. But he's intentional to tell him to take up his pallet. And years ago, when I was writing John to begin with, and and I saw this, the Lord showed this to me. Take up, it means to carry what has been raised up. Carry away what has been committed to you. So it means to carry what has been raised up, carry away what has been committed to you. In other words, don't wait for your circumstances to change. But he says, get up, take up. And what did he tell him to do? He said, take up your pallet. So if this was our pallet, this was this man's pallet. I want to tell you something beautiful right here. On this pallet that this man was confined to, that he was enslaved to, which is his circumstances, his sufferings, his losses, his challenges, his sorrows. 38 years worth on this pallet. But Jesus doesn't say, leave that pallet. He says, get up. But he says, take up that pallet. Because you see, this pallet right here is his testimony. You take, listen, you, you, you take that pallet with you. I was embarrassed to tell anybody my past when I got saved at a little bitty church. You know, because back then, it's been a minute, Back then, 1981, they dressed in polyester suits. They had ties on. The ladies wore pantyhose and dresses. And they all carried the King James Version. So listen, I I don't mind that people use the King James Version, of course. I love the King James Version, too. But if they knew, this was my thinking. I didn't know it was a pallet then. God didn't show it to me until some years, a few years later. My pallet, all my years of abuse and suffering, wrongdoings, it's what brought Jesus to me out of a sea of people. He wasn't ashamed of my pallet. You better leave that pallet. That's shame right there. That's dirty. That's struggling. That's sorrowful. No, he said, take that pallet with you. Why? It's not only going to remind you where you came from, not in guilt, but it's going to remind you the day that in the waiting room of my mercy, Jesus came to me. The day that he entered the mercy, the room where I was waiting And he said, take that up, and I I want you to walk with this. I want you to take it up, and I want you to walk. So let me give you what walk here means, and we'll be finished, because our time is gone. I don't know. Y'all need to listen quicker. Walk means to progress. Make due of appointments given. Progress. But listen, you progress with your palate. You progress with your palate. This pallet becomes a portable testimony. Just like it did with this man. Because the religious leader said, what are you doing carrying that pallet on a Sunday? Don't you be breaking the rules with that pallet. Bypass the fact that he had been healed and was walking with the pallet after 38 years. So caught up in the do's and don'ts. 
Listen, and 30 years ago, 20, that would have been me because I was raised that way in the, as a Christian in the polyester suits and King James Bible. We should never be afraid or ashamed to tell people what's on our palate. Our 38 years, whatever it was, it was almost 18 for me before I came to Jesus. But do you see this palette? We keep adding to it. That's another reason we carry it with us. Oh, I I see where you blew it right there. I see where you gave up right there. I see where you quit. I see where you turned your back on me. I see where you rejected me. I see where you were rejected. I I see those lies said about you. I I see that secret fear that you have. I see that sin, that stronghold you've been struggling with for a long time that nobody else sees, but I see it. But it's an opportunity for you to know that I'm telling you to get up, start again. That's what it means, start again. Start over and let that become, listen, it's a, it's a palette that's ever growing because this is your testimony. And that man said, Jesus told me to take this up. It was his palette, listen, not his walking, his physical healing that drew the unbelievers to notice him. It was his palette. Why are you carrying that palette? It was his palette. So it's this palette that Jesus puts the spotlight on. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about what He's done. Becomes His testimony. Amen? You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author, Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.